All right, good to see everybody today. Welcome to those of you joining us online. So how'd week two go with this whole changing clothes business that Paul's been on about? Was it as challenging as the week before? All right, by the looks of your faces, sounds like it was. Um, so we know this last week, our charge was to go put off anger, the kind of anger that leads to sin, and then to put on anger, the kind that doesn't lead to sin, the kind of anger that actually is targeted towards the sin in our lives. And hopefully, we're also still working on week one up there, putting away falsehoods and putting away lies. Because this whole being born again thing, it isn't easy, but it's good. And just wait until you see what Paul has in store for us today, this whole stealing and honest work thing. Because guess what? We're all a bunch of thieves, too. Just yet another thing that would become numb to in our lives. And when we boil down the act of stealing, what we find is that at its base is that it's all about selfishness. It's all about how selfish we are, and we're incredibly selfish people. We're far more apt to take from people than we are to give to them. And even when we do give to others, there's always some aspect of it that we get out of it. So for example, if we decide to take a meal to someone in need, there's always a piece of that that it's about how it makes us feel whenever we do it. So with each specific example that Paul gives us here, we get a clearer picture of what it means to be born again. How it takes real effort to leave that old life behind, to put off those old nasty clothes and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. And remember, we're not doing this to work our way into heaven. No, we've already been justified. We've already been made right, set apart by God, by that red drop of blood that Christ shed for us. So this is not about working our way into heaven. We're already going to heaven. We've been born again. This is all about, because we are on that path, that we're going to heaven, we therefore must put off that old stuff and put on these new clothes, the clothes that God is calling us to, the clothes that allow us to glorify him. So this is a call to action, to change our clothes, to actively engage in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And trust me, I know the way to this. It's a huge challenge for all of us. I'm right here alongside you in this. But here's the thing. God doesn't leave us alone. He gives us each other along this path, and he also gives us the Holy Spirit, God's voice within us that convicts us, that counsels us, and that comforts us. So before we dive in, I think it's important that we address these different voices. That's the reason we sang that song before this message, because there's a whole lot of voices that tend to speak into our lives. And as we battle to kill the sin in our life, we can expect repeated assaults from the enemy. So we must learn to distinguish between the voice of accusation and the voice of conviction. Accusation is from the devil. It's based on lies, it rejects repentance and forgiveness, and it fosters despair. The accuser says, you're a mess, you're worthless, you can't put off the old self, and you certainly can't put on the new self. You'll never be good enough to get into heaven. It's a voice that causes shame in our lives, and it steals our hope. The voice of the Holy Spirit, though, 
is different. That's the voice of conviction. It's based on truth. It leads to repentance and forgiveness, and it builds hope. The voice of the Holy Spirit says the old self is awful. It's repulsive. But you're not like that anymore. You've been born again. And so he counsels you to put off the old self and comforts you as you put on the new self in Christ. The Holy Spirit is always about the business of encouraging, strengthening, and building up our hope. We must learn to distinguish between these two voices in our lives. I also want to reinforce one other point that I touched on at the end of last week's sermon. It's critical that we reject this notion that once we've been born again, that we won't sin anymore. Nothing could be further from the truth. Scripture is clear. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So what has changed when we're born again? Well, what's changed is that the deceitful desires are no longer in control, as we learned a few weeks back. Our inner beings are, the place where the Holy Spirit dwells within us. It's a complete reversal, as we see at the top of that graphic up there. So those who have been born again are being renewed day by day by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, who convicts us based on truth, that's the voice of truth, so that we see sin for what it really is, nasty, foul stuff. That's that pot of steaming hot turds we've been talking about for the last couple of months. Because it's so nasty, that's what leads us to repentance, to turn away from it, and to forgiveness, which frees us from the bondage of sin, ultimately building up hope in us that we may one day be completely holy before Almighty God. And that's that path to holiness that we continue to talk about over and over. It has three parts to it. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. The justification part, being washed in Christ's blood, that is the moment we are set aside and we are set, we are going to heaven. If we placed our faith in Jesus, we have been justified. And then that narrow, well-lighted path you see up there, that's the path of sanctification, where the Holy Spirit within us is constantly making us more and more like Jesus each day, leading us up to that narrow gate up there where we will finally be glorified, standing in his presence for all eternity. And that sanctification path is where we all are if we placed our faith in Jesus. And this is a lifetime then of putting off and putting on. It's a take up your cross daily kind of thing. And it's all for God's glory. And today, of course, we're going to look at stealing along this path. Paul writes, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So just like with lying and anger, when we step back and look at this text, there's three things Paul is showing us. First, got to put something off. We got to put off stealing, right? That's the very first thing. We got to stay focused on that. The second piece, what are we to put on? Something else, a new self. We got to start doing honest work with our own hands. The second thing we got to focus on. And then third, he gives us the reason why, so that we have something to share with anyone in need. So that's Paul's teaching today in a nutshell. Now let's break these down in turn. First, the thing we need to put off, the stealing. The word used for steal here is klepto. It means taking what belongs to others. Pretty straightforward. I think we're all familiar with that word. Something belongs to someone else, and you take it for yourself. 
And that's why we say that self lies at the root of stealing. Now, thievery was rampant back in Paul's days, especially in the docks and at the bathhouses. But it's every bit as rampant today. It just looks a little bit different. Now it's spam calls and internet scams. Thousands, hundreds of billions of dollars every single year are stolen. It's remarkable when you think about it. It is a thriving industry out there. But just like back in the day, there's always someone out there ready to take what belongs to us, and so that's why we're always on guard. And thieves are masters at deception. That's what the word filch means, to steal casually or deceptively. But the truth is that we're all thieves too, and we've actually become really good at stealing, especially the filching component of it. So yeah, there's this brazen bank robbery that is an obvious form of stealing. But this word klepto also entails the casual stuff, the filching. Don't you just love that word? I like to say filch. I'm going to say it a lot today. So what is it that we mean by filching, the casual theft? Well, it involves things such as not putting money in a parking meter. Ever think about that? No one in here, I'm sure, has ever done that before, right? How about not reporting the new renovations on your house on your property appraisal submission? Failing to report extra income on your taxes that there's no way the IRS will ever find out about. Neglecting to draw attention to the item in your cart that the cashier mistakenly missed. I see some head nods, some people starting to look down. Maybe using a free Aldi cart that still has a quarter in it, and then when you return the cart, you take the quarter. <laughs> yeah, we got some real filters out here, don't we? <laughs> Taking tools, keepsake items, kitchen utensils, or clothing from family members of all people. I can't tell you how many times growing up I would see my brother wearing my clothes around. In fact, he's here today and that shirt looks extremely familiar. <laughs> my son has become so adept at it that he takes one sock at a time so it's as though the dryer ate it, right? And he's walking around with my socks. You go out to dinner with your friends and you go to one of those restaurants where they only give one check. So you do the whole alligator arm thing and you promise to pay him back, but you never do. Making copies or printing out personal stuff at work so you don't burn up those expensive printer cartridges at your home. Taking paper, pens, hole punches, post-it notes, even staplers home from work. By some estimates, corporations lose $50 billion a year to employees taking stuff home. And of course, we justify it all by telling ourselves that we're underpaid or we've been working extra hours. But the truth is, more often than not, we're actually stealing with regard to time on the job, too. Economists call it shirking. So we have filching and now shirking. Shirking is where we take an extra 15 minutes at lunch. We hang out on social media at work. We shop online, we play video games, or even take a nap. And if we happen to work from home, it's even worse. One study found people who work from home 
only work 5.6 hours out of an eight-hour day that they're supposed to. They end up doing laundry, running to the grocery store, cutting the grass, taking the kids to school, shirking. And if filching and shirking weren't enough, there's also pilfering. For example, pilfering of ideas, thoughts, insights. It's called plagiarism. Taking credit for someone else's intellectual capital to gain favor, to build yourself up in someone else's eyes. You're watching the news, and you hear some clever position by one of those talking heads, and so you walk around all week espousing the same position. But now, we all know the deal. You're not that smart. You couldn't have come up with that idea. You totally pilfered it. So do you see, though, how we become numb to all of this? And Paul instructs, stop doing that. Take that nasty stuff off. It's foul. It's repulsive. Because it's taking something for yourself that doesn't belong to you. It's gaining something without working for it. It's stealing. It's filching. It's shirking. It's pilfering. It's selfish. And it's wrong. And it does not bring God glory. So we're to put off stealing, and then we're to put on labor, doing honest work with our own hands. The language here speaks specifically to earning by working, by toiling, even growing weary. So this is effort. This is sweat. It's challenging. we got to work at it, maybe to the point of weariness. And notice how Paul specifically says, do honest work with our own hands. So this is really all about what we do with our hands, not the hands of others. So we can either use our hands to steal by taking from others, or we can use our hands to labor by doing honest work, perhaps in the form of swinging a hammer or teaching a class. But whatever it is, it's honest work. You can use our talents to earn our keep, not to take from someone else. After all, Work is noble. There's dignity in it. God worked for six days and then rested on the seventh. So honest work reflects the activity of God. And of course, after God worked, he declared each day that it was good. Honest work is good, and it is good for us. Because when we put our hearts into our work, we gain tremendous satisfaction by what we accomplish. Nothing builds a team quite like when everyone's laboring together to accomplish something good. Everyone carrying their own weight, depending on each other, supporting and building each other up. We sleep well after a day of hard, honest work. Work also keeps us from idle hands, from being slothful or lazy. As Proverbs 16 says, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Far too often, that's when we get ourselves into trouble, when we're being idle, slothful, or lazy. Our mind is left to wander, and we're especially susceptible to the accusations of the accuser. We also don't have funds coming in because we're not working, so we're tempted to take from others. And so Paul says, work, because work results in all sorts of productive outcomes, in dignity, and in honest gain. It's how God designed things. He created a garden, and he placed man in charge, and the specific words were to work it. But the main reason we're to work is so we have something to share with anyone in need. 
Now, that was kind of unexpected, wasn't it? It doesn't say work so we can take care of ourselves or work to amass great wealth or status. No, it's work so we can share with anyone in need. Now, in America, in the year 2023, if you asked people why you worked and someone said, well, they work to take care of others in need, you'd be like, what? There's no way. It's like hearing a dog talk or something. You'd be completely dumbfounded by the whole thing. You mean you work to help people in need? Yeah. That's what Paul's saying here. It gives new meaning to how we approach our work. This is about changing our perspective because ultimately, when we've been born again, we now work for the king. Have you ever thought about that before? So tomorrow... As you're getting ready to go to work, or if you're off for Juneteenth, maybe Tuesday, and you don't want to roll out of bed, remind yourself, you're getting up because you're working for the king. And that's why Paul is painting such a stark contrast for us. In this case, stealing versus honest work. It's so important that we appreciate the distinction because it changes the entire focus of how we approach work. We stop using our hands to take from others, and we start using them to give to others. That's the belief that changes in us when we're born again. I want you all to think about that this week. Our inner being desires that we give to others, not take from them. In fact, we start to find taking nauseating because it's foul stuff. And so our behavior comes in step with this new belief that we work hard so that we can give to others. In other words, we move from being greedy to being generous. And that's such an important word. It's actually a key part of one of our 12 pillars. It's the Grateful Hearts pillar. It's focused on being thankful, merciful, charitable, and generous. Because these are functions that mark the first century church. It's what set them apart. Generosity was vital to the early church, and not just important for the recipients of the generosity. No, generosity was every bit as critical for the believers who gave, for those who had been born again, because they just couldn't continue in that old life. They needed to put off the old self. They worked for the king now. So they couldn't continue to be greedy, getting what they could filch from others. Rather, they put on something new, the new self, being generous, caring for the needs of others, helping out the less fortunate, those going through a rough patch in life. Listen to how Paul describes it in his second letter to the church in Corinth. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, to us. You see, they served the king now. They had been born again. They had a new perspective on things. They begged earnestly for the favor or the privilege of taking part in the relief of the saints. And that's why the church's view of tithing seems to have shifted a bit 
between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It doesn't appear any longer to be focused on meeting a minimum requirement of, say, 10%, or if you actually go back and look to the Old Testament, it was actually a little north of 23% that people paid. No, it turned into generous giving out of the overflow of what God had done for each believer. That's what we see in that text up there. It's an approach that embraces the truth that everything we have came from God. And God calls his people to be generous with what he's given us. Not to hoard it, not to spend it frivolously, but to be generous, caring for others. Because our approach to money tells us so much about what we really believe about a relationship with God. That's why giving has as much to do with the giver as it does the recipient, because it shows us all where our heart is. So as you guys know, in the almost two years that I've been here, I haven't once gotten up here to beat you up about giving. That is not something we do here at Four Mile Church. We're a church that does not conduct a shakedown every week. We stay away from that stuff. It's why we don't pass a plate. As we just saw, giving is a privilege. It's an act of worship that comes out of the overflow of what God is doing in our hearts. So giving is important. It's a privilege, that's the word, for each and every child of God who's been born again. And as we see here in our text, it's directly linked to our work. We work so we can give. So I pulled together just a few key fundamentals about giving that we find in Scripture that reinforce what Paul's showing us here. First, we are to give out of the first fruits of our labor. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. Sometimes we can be prone to giving out of whatever is left over. We take care of ourselves first, and if we got a little bit left, we'll throw that in the plate. But God calls for our first fruits. The paycheck comes in, and it's our privilege to set part of it aside to give to those in need. And then we live responsibly on the rest of it. Second, we're to give in proportion to our income or our wealth. As we just read in 2 Corinthians 8, for they gave according to their means. If you're good at your work or you happen to be in a high-paying occupation, you're probably in a position to give more. And that's why we often hear about a tithe. It's a percentage of what we make. So the more we make, the more we're able to give. It's our motivation to work hard and to work well. Third, we're to give anonymously, as it says in Matthew 6. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. We're not to look for any credit for our giving. That actually undermines the spirit of generosity. We're to give anonymously. And that's why here at Four Mile, we don't know what anyone gives. Cammy and I don't know. Elders don't know. It's just Marcy, our treasurer, processes the checks and maybe has one person to help her count every, every week. But other than that, no one knows. We don't want to know because we want to stay in step with Scripture. It's all about giving anonymously. Fourth, we're to give regularly, as Paul instructed the churches in Corinth and Galatia to do. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and to store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. It's part of our regular worship, which is why so many people give online now. That's what my family does. We set it up through the Four Mile website. 
So it's automatically withdrawn from our bank accounts at routine intervals. It also helps us to stick to that first fruits principle because the paycheck comes in and the tithe money goes out. It also helps us ensure that we're meeting our giving goals. We pray about it as a family at the beginning of each year, and we commit then to a certain amount, and we set up these automatic withdrawals, and it keeps us focused on our commitment. Finally, it, resport, it supports responsible giving. We must always guard against giving flippantly or carelessly. There's any number of people coming around with their hand out, and they always think that they're in need, and they tell you they're in need, but we have to be very prayerful about it to make sure that we're giving in places that God calls us to give. It's so important that we see that. We shouldn't be going into debt to care for our families because we gave irresponsibly or carelessly to something else. So what are our next steps with regard to giving? Well, here are a couple things to consider no matter where you may be on this giving spectrum right now. First, we should all be constantly praying about how and where God is calling us to be generous. Second, maybe you've never given before. Start by giving something. Maybe just a few bucks, that's perfectly okay. The amount does not matter. Remember, it's all about the heart of giving. Maybe you're already giving. Perhaps move towards a tithe or a percentage of your income. Many people pick 10% as a goal, but again, that's between you and God. Could be 5% or any other number. Or maybe you're already giving in proportion to your income. Perhaps push yourself a bit. A few years back, the pastor at our church in New York, he encouraged people, if you're already giving proportionally, up it by one percentage point each year. If you're giving 10% this year, 11% next year. It's a great way to grow in your generosity. Because at the end of the day, we've all been so blessed. We've been born again. We're going to heaven. And that's why our mindset has to change when we've been born again, from taking to giving and giving generously. Now, when we look across all that Paul is teaching us here in this section of chapter 4, it's all motivated by one thing, God's glory alone. And if you look up, it's now on the mantle. That hasn't always been here, by the way. That's a new thing. Some of you are like, has it always been there? No, we put it up this week because it's so important that we remind ourselves as we come in for worship each week, there's a humble sign out back. We start with humility. And that humility reminds us that God's glory alone is the source of our strength. God's glory alone is the substance of our work. And God's glory alone is the object of our endeavors. No matter what temptation comes our way, God's glory is what empowers us to resist it. It's why we put off lies, put off anger that leads to sin and stealing, because it does not bring him glory. And it's why we put on truth, being angry but not sinning, and doing honest work with our hands so that we can generously give to those in need. All to God's glory alone. So we humble ourselves in that truth and we fix our eyes. That is our perspective now as being born again. All that we do is for God's glory alone. Let's pray. Father, we lift up our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come from? It doesn't come from the hills. It comes from our motivation to glorify your name. It comes from you and it comes from your glory. You are sovereign and you are good. And in your goodness, you have blessed us with the amazing gift of work. 
Help us to embrace the work that you place before us so that we might be productive, earn our keep, not be a burden to others, and be able to share generously with anyone in need out of the abundance of your many blessings. We ask all these things, Lord, and whatever else you see that we need. For Jesus' sake, amen. 